You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. Welcome back to Lunchtime Movie Review, where we look back at some of our childhood favorite films to see if they stand the test of time. I'm Patrick, and with me this week is... Nugent. Ted Nugent. And we have a new reviewer this week. Uh, Dr. Rosenpenis. Oh, okay. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you. Uh, that would be Scott. Uh, Scott's uh, reviewing this film this week. And just for a little history about Lunchtime Movie Review, Scott was actually one of the original people who talked about doing it. And then he abandoned us and didn't. didn't. Yes, I, I decided that my, my talents were uh, too great to waste on this project and did some independent work. But uh, I'm back, at least for today. And, of, of course, we wanted you back so desperately we brought you around about episode 62 or 63. So Yeah, yeah. I, feel like the guy who left mash yeah who was that guy exactly i think he's dead now <laughs> for this week we're gonna look back at 1985's fletch but before we get started with that we have a quick word from this week's sponsor our sponsor this week is the california racket club do you think you're wide enough well come on in and if you're accepted well then you'll know for sure the only thing that you will find that is colored on our tennis courts are the tennis balls and maybe the help Come on into the California Racket Club and receive a free member outfit, all white shorts and shirts. The California Racket Club. Tell them you're a guest of the Underhills. All right, Fletch. Oh, for God, Don, Don. What is this man saying? What is this man doing? What in the hell's the matter with you? What is this man's name? My name is Igor Stravinsky. Hi there, I'm uh, Harry S. Truman. I'm uh, Don Corleone. They call him Fletch. Fletch! Fletch! Fletch, F. Fletch. He's good at defending himself. Better tie your shoelaces. Disguising himself. (laughs) And getting himself into trouble. Well, it be Fletch. Go ahead, make my day. He's a reporter. There are no tags on these mattresses who's about to write the story of a lifetime. Will you kill me? Sure. If he lives. Thanks a lot! Fletch is based on a 1974 mystery novel written by Gregory MacDonald. The book was the first in a series featuring the character Erwin Maurice Fletcher. The series lasted 11 books and even launched a spin-off series for a supporting character, Inspector Francis Xavier Flynn, that lasted four books itself. The Edgar Allan Poe award-winning first novel, which is what the film is based on, introduces... I am Fletcher, a journalist and ex-Marine staying on a beach watching the drug culture for a story, waiting to find the dealer's source before publishing an expose. When Universal went to cast the film, they initially looked at the likes of Burt Reynolds and Mick Jagger, but ultimately settled on Chevy Chase due to his obvious Marine-like physique and a gift of drama. Yeah. <laughs> and you think Mick Jagger would be perfect for the drug culture? Yeah, I, I could believe him as a druggie and... Um, Burt Reynolds, I think, could pass as an ex-Marine. Chevy Chase, not so much. So, oh no, the whole stash just doesn't really scream Marine. No, Chevy Chase had the decided advantage that the author had never seen him in anything when he agreed to his casting. That's always helpful. 
Our film begins much like the book, with Fletch, now just a journalist, staying on a beach, watching the drug culture for his column in the paper. Because when I think of drug dealers, I often think of Norm from Cheers. Aren't drug dealers supposed to be thin and strung out? <laughs> He's got the munchies. Uh, the massive case of the munchies. But he never leaves the beach. That's what they say. He never leaves the beach. So, You know, Fat Sam has always been a hero of mine. <laughs> he goes to work, but never really has to do anything. That's true. Much like Norm on Cheers. <laughs> Anyways, Fletch is approached by Alan Stanwyck, played by Tim Matheson. Stanwyck tells Fletch that he has inoperable cancer and wants Fletch to kill him so that his family will receive his life insurance. And also, he's damn glad to meet him. Uh, he is damn glad to meet him. So, <laughs> The idea immediately has appeal to Fletch, probably because he saw Up the Creek like I did in the 1980s, and Matheson was terrible in it. It was a blatant ripoff of his Captain Burkhead character in Spielberg's 1941, which was just ripping off Eric Stratton character in the classic Animal House. Matheson deserved to die for his lack of creativity. Hasn't he ever heard of typecasting? But I digress. Stanwyck tells Fletch that he is the perfect man for the job. He tells Fletch that he appears to be a person who can simply disappear after the shooting without any suspicions being raised. And, oh yeah, he will give Fletch $50,000 for the job as well. Fletch agrees to kill Stanwyck because this news hound can smell a good story. Fletch has no intention of killing Otter, but soon starts checking out Stanwyck's story. He digs deeper into Stanwyck's medical history and finds out that the lying son of a bitch doesn't have cancer. Fletch probes Stanwyck's wife for information while simultaneously... <laughs> Deeply probing. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Fletch probes Stanwyck's wife for in information... All night long. <laughs> Fletch probes Stanwyck's wife for information while simultaneously helping her with her forehand stroke. Thank you, sir. May I have another? He takes a trip to Utah, where apparently all the citizens are made up from the cast of Newhart, including Larry Sands, his brother Daryl, and his other brother Daryl. <laughs> you know, I'm from Provo, right? I, I know. That joke was for you. But why was everybody there supposed to be so hick-like? I mean, because he's clearly been to Provo? Okay. <laughs> I've never been there. You speak from experience. In the meantime, Fletch is under pressure to write his expose on the drug traffic on the beach. His undercover investigation draws the attention of the police chief, played by motherfucking Mitchell himself, Joe Don Baker. Mitchell. Mitchell threatens to kill Fletch if he doesn't back off the story, stating that he is about to conduct a huge sting operation and he doesn't want Fletch and a bunch of meddling kids interfering. Mitchell. <laughs> Fletch agrees to not write the story, but suspects that the police are now somehow involved in the beach drug business. Oh, how the Mitchell has fallen. Or risen, depending on your point of view. Mitchell. Fletch soon revisits Stanwyck's wife, who apparently is Gail, and Sparks... I love this movie! <laughs> Sparks soon start to form. Fletch soon learns that Stanwyck has another wife, living in Utah. No, he's not Mormon, because he's not into that singing in the Tabernacle Choir and shit. He's just into the polygamy. <laughs> you guys, even you, coming from Utah, I had to go, I'm, I'm what are they trying to imply with that? Yeah, yeah. Faster than you can say M. Night Shyamalan, Fletch's two new stories soon become one, when Fletch learns that the separate storylines are actually connected. He confronts Stanwyck about Stanwyck's real plan, which is to murder Fletch and have his body burned in a car accident. Stanwyck wants to fake his own death and live out his life with his Mormon wife, and he plans on using Fletch's similar bone structure to do so. Now, I know they were both considered for the role of Otter, but physically, Chevy Chase and Tim Matheson look nothing alike. Chase was bloated and heavy from just getting off drugs, and Matheson still had the body of, oh, well, Otter from Animal House. <laughs> but Otter is not only double-crossing Fletch, he's also double-crossing Mitchell. And no one double-crosses Mitchell. Mitchell. 
no one. Stanwick was taking off with not only his wife's money, but the police chief's money as well. You see, Stanwick has been flying in the drugs that the police chief has been selling on the beach, but plans on leaving good old Mitchell in the lurch. Mitchell quickly kills Stanwick, leaving Fletch and Stanwick's wife to take on the mighty Mitch himself, which they shortly do with a tennis racket to the back. Fletch writes his column, gets the girl, and heads off to Rio, all at the expense of the Underhills. Little did Fletch know that trouble loomed on the horizon just a few short years later, and they ironically titled Fletch Lives, which would be the end of the Fletch series. That is Fletch. And that is an amazing classic American film. Yeah, I did it. A lot of justice there. <laughs> All right. Fletch, released on May 31st, 1985. Um, strangely as it may seem, being that it was a summer movie, it came out all by itself that week. No other films were released that week. The Fletch came out. Same, it was released the same month as Brewster's Million, Rambo First Blood Part Two, A View to a Kill, the classic Rappin', Wrestler's Rhapsody, Jim Cotta, and Code of Silence. <laughs> it grossed uh, just over $50 million. It was the 12th highest grossing film of 1985, right behind The Goonies, Spies Like Us, and Police Academy 2, their first assignment. Oh. And, <laughs> and right in front of A View to a Kill, European Vacation, and Mask. Not with Jim Carrey, but with Eric Stoltz. Holy cow, he had three movies that year? Chevy Chase, Spies yeah. Like Us, Fletch, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and had, Vacation. Yeah, he had three films in the top 15, apparently, just off this. And there might have been, this is Chevy Chase's heyday here. So. Yeah, comedic gold. Yeah. Quit SNL, go make money. Yeah. About 10 years later. But <laughs> <laughs> What else was going on in 1985, Jay? May 1985, the New Orleans Saints were sold for $70 million and a couple of garbage bags to put over the fans' heads. A whole bunch of tornadoes hit U.S. and Canada. Uh, the number one song that week. A whole bunch of tornadoes. 41. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. 41 tornadoes? Tornadoes. On one day. That's not a bunch. You, you give the number when it's that high, my man. You're talking to someone from the Midwest. Meh. It's yeah. just a bunch. It's 41 in one day. Okay. Um, 41. Wait a minute. I, I no longer care about Fletch. <laughs> <laughs> 41 tornadoes in one day? That's why it's no, noteworthy. One day? Yes. Killed, okay, then then make a proper killed note. Killed 88 people, and how many injured? 1,000. 1,000 people injured. 41. More happy news from Jay. <laughs> yes. Uh, the number one song that week, the, movie, the same week that Fletch came out, was Everything She Wants by Scott's favorite band, Wham. Wow. I didn't know they had a second song. <laughs> No, that, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. Like, after they woke up and went go go, they went everything she wants. Now I can justify the poster that I still have <laughs> hanging on my wall. The number one album that week: Phil Collins, No Jacket Required. Yeah, kind of a slow month week, except for the other massive tornadoes. The but, uh, eighty-eight <laughs> dead people and a thousand injured. People. Unless you are living in Ontario in Pennsylvania, in New York, but no one cares about New Yorkers. So screw you. <laughs> All right, Fletch. Uh, I, you know, Scott, when we first started talking about doing this podcast a few years ago, uh, we made a list of films that we wanted to do. And I remember it was you and Matt and Jason and myself. 
And Fletch is at the top of that list because we still have that list. Oh, if do we still have the list? <laughs> we still have the list. And we always, that's a, oh, that's a Scott one. That's a Scott one. We want to bring him on. Uh, because this one, I, uh, since I've known you, you've always talked about this as being one of your favorite films. Wh- what about this film? Why is it so great to you? Well, uh, the real reason, and it's important to hit on this, is as someone that was born and raised in Provo, Utah, there's not that many movies that center on our town. So <laughs> how could I not love it? Using that logic, Blue Chips should be my favorite movie. <laughs> well, you know, I what was nice about the movie is they cast locals. Uh, the guy, the landlord, he was actually my economics teacher in high school. So, uh, you know, it's nice to have that local connection. Are, are you being serious now that you actually know that actor? Or are you just making shit up? I'm, I'm just making it up. I, I have no idea. I, I was like, wow, that, you said it was such conviction that i was like wow is he a member of the film actors guild yeah no no uh, or screen actors guild sorry (laughs) team america slipped in no all all kidding aside that is not a proper representation of provo (laughs) i i I was hoping not (laughs) it's like now i need to go to east coast west coast and avoid everything in the middle apparently (laughs) no i i've just always loved the movie um when i was a kid uh chevy chase i think was one of my dad's favorites so this was one that whenever I was a little kid, we were at the video store. I don't know what we're going to get. The fallback was always Ch- uh, Fletch. So I've watched it dozens and dozens of times, and it's still funny to me. I watched it uh, the night before last to get ready for this, and I still loved it. And did you see this one in the theaters, or was it something you caught on video after the fact? I saw it for the first time on video, uh, but then when Fletch Lives came out, that was uh, I was there with some friends the Friday it opened. Oh, wow. So... I saw this on Comedy Central when they just played this movie and just beat into the ground. You know, I I saw it in the theater when it came out. It, like nineteen eighty five was a for me as far as a big year. That summer was a big year for movies for, for me. And there, and I remember actually buying the book before this film came out and reading the book and then going to see the movie and quite a bit of difference between the book and the film. I know. Uh, Prior to us going and starting the recording here, Scott, you had mentioned that you had started reading the book but hadn't finished it. And the book's very different from the film. Yeah, it's it's the same story. I read probably uh, about a third of it. And I was having a rough time because I'm reading the book from the perspective of the comedy. And the book's just not a comedy. It's it's a, a police story or, or however you want to phrase it. It's a serious mystery. Yeah, I it's mean, a, a mystery. That That's the word I'm looking for. He's, he's trying to find out why Stanwick wants him to kill him, and he's going through that investigation while also dealing with the drug issue at the same time and the police trying to, to get him. But there is no, not really any comedy in the book. No, not at all. And for me, it was frustrating as the reader when I'm seeing Chevy Chase's Fletch and I, I'm looking for the... I mean, in my mind, that's what Fletch is, even though it was you know, obviously the other way around as far as the order they were created. So I just wasn't enjoying the book. I, I went back and watched the movie again. Yeah. I actually enjoyed the book. I actually enjoyed the movie when I saw it in 1985. That I find them as similar to like Jurassic Park. The film and the book are so different that I, you know, I like them for what they are. I think it would have been hard to capture some of the comedy that was in the film in the storyline in the book. I don't think it would have played out very well. But not everything plays out very well in this movie, does it, Jay? No. The music. Let's talk about the music there. It is very, very 80s music. <laughs> it's it's just, it's not even good 80s. I, there's two categories of 80s music, good and bad. And this just falls into the huge bad category. 
at one point when I was watching um, the movie to prepare for the podcast, I had this image of Jodon Baker telling Chevy Chase, "The princess is another castle," because it is sounded. Yeah. <laughs> it just reminded me of playing um, an old school NES Nintendo game because the music was very MIDI and just very very bad. Well, I mean the the orchestration is done by Harold Faltemeyer, who be, I mean, he was big for uh, the Axel F theme for Beverly Hills Cop, which came out the year before. And he did another, I know he was involved with Beverly Hills Cop too, but um, he did another soundtrack, which I forgot to look up before we went on the air. But it's very, I mean, it's keyboard, synthesizer. It, it, it is very 80s. I think it's, you know, it's kind of a, a touchstone to the 80s. It, I was not as, you had mentioned that you'd watched it before I'd rewatched it, and I was not as distracted by it. I guess I'm just, having done 60 of these, I'm used to bad 80s music in these <laughs> films. But it just, uh, it well, just, this was, to me, this was especially bad. It, it, Beverly Hills Cop. At least there's some bass to it, and, and this, this is just pure. I mean, there's no bass. It's just pure trouble. Or maybe my settings were just way off. But uh, you mean trouble, right? <laughs> what I say? I'm just okay. You, I said trouble. You oh. said trouble. <laughs> I do like your analogy, though. That that kind of underlying music, while Fletch's thinking or or working through a problem or whatever, it really does sound like the original Nintendo. The dude. Yeah, and and even the other songs, the actual with it, lyrics and everything, the the main things that uh, step by step or hit by hit or that opens the film and closes and does the closing credits. Uh, that's cons- it's like the Fletch theme or something like that. So it's, and that's uh, it's very Pointer Sister esque. I don't even remember who sings it. It was so unrememberable. I'm sure this the pod this podcast will open with that theme. But <laughs> when you listen to the when the ending credits are rolling, I just had this picture of someone in like a white suit with like the sleeves rolled up, very Miami Vice esque type music. Yeah, I I agree with you. I could I could see that they 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 didn't have anybody good on the soundtrack. Uh, Harold Faltermeyer is probably the best known to me because just he's a the, household name. Yeah, well, at the time he was Axel F. Oh, he did. Uh, my that's what he did. He did Miami Vice. Oh, hey. So I knew there was something else. I knew he did, had done. So and for those playing at home, I did really not know that. It just sounded like Miami Vice music. Uh, I was going to say, wow, that's uh, impressive. Not really. I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> now, something I wanted to talk about is. Chevy Chase, uh, well, Chevy Chase. Want, let's start off with Chevy Chase being cast in this film. Obviously, we were looking at Mick Jagger in the late in the late seventies. They were looking at Burt Reynolds and Mick Jagger. Um, obviously, some sort of type to them, and then they settle on Chevy Chase, which I think dictates how what this film is going to be at that point in time. Well, this movie came out in the summer or early late spring of eighty five. And you mentioned that Mick Jagger and Burt Reynolds were very popular in the 70s. Was this movie in production or for, the, for about five years or so? Or I Because mean, how do they go from Burt Reynolds to Chevy Chase? Well, uh, the, film, the book came out in 74 and was a mild hit, won the Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe Award, I believe. And, you know, Burt Reynolds in the late 70s, was, he was the shit. I mean, Smokey and the Bandit and starting over and the end they all end up being big hits for him and i think burt reynolds makes sense it's like you know if you were going to go cast the film today you probably have a short list of who are the top actors to get you know brad pitt's going to be up there and you know uh, maybe colin farrell you know you know younger actors who have some sort of appeal to it so i don't i understand the burt reynolds mick jagger is not an actor and and not american is not really going to play an american marine very well but 
it, it, it's an unusual idea. But settling on Chevy Chase, though, it was like I, I kind of wondered at that point at what evolution in the script did you have that was there a lot of comedy written into the script at the time, or is it something that evolved from having Chevy Chase invol- involved? Because everything I've read about it is they said they would do a take um, as as scripted. Okay, do this take as scripted, and they would do it until they got it perfect, and then the director said, okay, now just go. You can do whatever you want, and it would allow Chevy Chase to improv at that point in time, and they end up using a lot of those improvs. So I wonder if the comedy comes out of it, but casting Chevy Chase as this in a book that would have been a dramatic lead seems to be kind of risky. Yeah, you know, I would agree with that. I, I always assumed that this was a vehicle for Chevy Chase. I mean, the type of comedy in it, the way he does his acting, that's what I think of when I think of Chevy Chase. It seems very consistent with what he did on Saturday Night Live and, and some of the other movies that he's had the freedom just to improv and do what he wants to do. So I was actually quite surprised to find out that he wasn't the original one they had in mind. And I, with what I read in the book, I could see the Burt, Burt Reynolds being consistent with that character. I, I just, I'd really like to know how they got to Chevy Chase. If if they had the intent to do this seriously, it seems very weird. And I got to agree with you too that this seems like it's a very, this movie is a vehicle for Chevy Chase. But looking back at it, I think we're using, you know, going back in hindsight, like, oh yeah, this is you know quintessential Chevy Chase. What was he in? What was Chevy Chase in before this movie came out? Right before this movie came out? Yeah. His last three films right before this were, excuse me, last four films were Deal of the Century. That was straight out comedy and not very funny. Um, Vacation, uh, Modern Problems, straight out comedy, not very funny now. And Under the Rainbow, which good luck trying to find that on video I've now. never even heard of that one. Under the Rain, uh, it's, I saw it on, it was on HBO Loop. It's one that we should review someday if I could ever find that damn movie. But He's he's a kind of a cop or a private eye in the 1930s when they're filming Wizard of Oz, and he's trying to track down. I think he's an FBI agent. He's trying to track down a German spy who's he, he, he's a midget. He's a dwarf. He's a small man. Oh, so it's a fantasy. It's movie. a fantasy film. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the uh, female lead in it is Carrie Fisher. Really? Yeah, but it's. I mean, so the whole it, it, the whole film is he's trying to get get something. I can't. I haven't seen it since the early 1980s. I can't remember what they're trying to get, but it, it's an unusual role for him. But it's still a comedy, and uh, of course, because it has little people, you know, no dragons, so it's not totally fantasy. But but that's what Under the Rainbow is. But the, I mean, Chevy Chase, and 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 if I'm forgetting anything, other than when he was on, I think Law and Order, I have never seen him do anything serious. Everything is comedy, 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 comedy. And if this intended to be a serious film and then morphed into kind of this part comedy, part dramatic role, then... Well, his role in Community is not very funny. Yeah, but that's a comedy show, you know. I, I just don't understand why you cast him. If if you have the idea, we're doing this dramatic movie, darn it, Burt Reynolds said no, why would you even cast him? I, I think, who directed it? Michael Ritchie. And he had been known for... Um, he directed The Survivors right before this with Robin Williams, Jerry Reed, and Walter Matthau. Also a film I saw many times on HBO, also not very good. Um, the Island, which is an early pirate movie um, based off a Peter Benchley novel. Semi-Tough with Burt Reynolds. Um, and Bad News Bears. So um, Kind of all over the board on his directing. He, he's, he does not have a style or a genre. He did jump all over the place. And he actually does direct Fletch Lives, so he's partially to blame for that abortion of a film. <laughs> but it, <laughs> Wow. Well, it, it's it, a little harsh. 
well. It's still Fletch. It, it, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> he fletched all over the place. <laughs> he, he He's a, a director with a very, you know, eclectic uh, catalog of films. And it was uh, it's interesting that he, it, he chose this project and then chose Chevy Chase to be in it. The, one of the other things is uh, Chevy Chase has talked about how this is his favorite film of his career. And because it allowed him to be him, which... I, I think the irony of that statement is that you play, you know, you're conning people most through the film by playing characters. What is him? I mean, the sarcastic nature or the playful nature? I mean, it's it's the least slapstick, I think, of his characters. He delivers great one-liners with just a complete straight face. And I think that's probably maybe what he's getting at. Because when you think of Chevy Chase, you just you, you think of you're giving a complete non-sequitur answer, but you're trying to make it come off as completely serious. You know, that's one of the things that I enjoyed most about the style that he did this movie. I mean, uh, you kind of joked about it first, saying your name is Ted Nugent. Just the scenes where he just, you know, straight off the cuff, oh, yeah, I'm Ted Nugent or uh, Babar or, you know, <laughs> just so straight deadpan. And I, it, that made it much funnier for me. Well, one thing I did notice about this, and I don't know if either one of you guys had listened to the Christmas Vacation podcast, and we talked about when Chevy Chase was effective in that film is and when he played the straight man to Randy Quaid's comedy, you know, the he was the Dean Martin to Randy Quaid's Jerry Lewis and that was when he was as funny as he threw out the the, the the sarcastic remarks, uh, make the funny statements, but the first half of the film before Randy Quaid shows up, he's doing slapstick and it's just not as funny. And I found that in, interestingly enough that there's a lot of similarities that he's playing off people and doing it as a straight man, giving the sarcastic remark, you know, and sometimes allowing them to to be the comedy foil to it, and and that he's just sitting there, kind of laughing with the audience. Hey, guys, you're, no, you're good no at this. <laughs> you're really good at this. <laughs> yeah, it's when you do it, you actually get good. Yeah, at yeah, it. no, I do. And I, I did no. listen to that podcast, by the way. I'm living <laughs> proof. You it. don't get good at this. <laughs> well, it, it does get better if you pick things better than Transformers the movie. <laughs> Uh, okay, the uh, last thing I want to talk about is a third Fletch film. Now, Fletch Lives, essentially, ironically with its title, essentially killed the Fletch franchise in, I think, 87 or 88. Um, Did it make any money? Did you happen to look that up? Not nearly as much as... Um, Fletch. I mean, Fletch did very, very well. Yeah, like 50 made, million in 85 is not bad. Yeah, 12th highest grossing film of the year. I was actually surprised it was that high. I looked at 50 million and went, yeah, that's about right. But 12th, and, and considering some of the numbers, although I'm kind of surprised it was behind Spies Like Us. I was like, really? That that big dog turd was <laughs> higher grossing top 10 film? I like Spies Like Us. Okay, I can see that in my future. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Fletch, it was a long-running book series and a lot of good source material. And Fletch Lives abandons that. It's a completely it's – doesn't. it's not based on anything. It's just a creation of the film. And there's been talk of going back to the Fletch series since the late 90s. I believe Kevin Smith brought it up initially at one point about um, a dream project he wanted to do was to go back with Chevy Chase and make a third Fletch film and then – you know, about a decade later, it actually got offered to him to do. But at that point, Chevy Chase had kind of aged out of the character, and they were going to use Jason Lee, and they started working on it, and no one wanted him to use Jason Lee because he wasn't box office certified, and Kevin Smith abandoned it, and then um, the guy who I said Bill Lawrence from Scrubs 
was going to do it. He was going to use Zach Brath from Scrubs to play Fletch. I don't know about that. And then they were off the project, and now it's it's just out there in limbo. Can we go back and can you redo this? You know, I, I think if they did do another one, it would be very difficult for them to recapture it. Like I said, when I, I'm reading the book, which really was the, the genesis for Fletch, I'm like, no, no, it's not Chevy Chase. It's not Fletch. And for me, probably aren't too many of us out there, but I would say I am a true Fletch fan. It would be difficult to see anyone other than Chevy Chase playing Fletch. And you know what? I think given the current state of Hollywood, if there's money to be made, they're going to remake this. If they think they can make money, they'll remake this. I mean, they're remaking Total Recall. They're repackaging our childhood and just updating it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. and I, I agree with you, but I, I wonder how much money is to be made in this. They are repackaging a lot of films and putting them back out there, but there are a lot of films that have the potential to really make a lot more money than a small comedy. But even then, do you make it as a small comedy? Do you do you go back to the source material and make a, a mystery drama out of it? I think you could still make it a comedy. I mean, Scott, you're a huge fan of the original Fletch. If they remake it, would you see it? Oh, of course I'd go see it. See? But, uh, you know, I, I think Patrick kind of brings up a good point is some of this stuff is so big. Like Total Recall, everyone saw Total Recall, and I imagine they even had little Total Recall action figures and things like that. I'm not sure if Fletch has that same impact. I mean, certainly it does on me, but if you ask you know the average person when you were a kid growing up did you see fletch i wonder how many would say yes versus i think i heard of it i think most fans of comedy were going to say yeah i saw fletch so you're not going to ha- make it a summer blo- uh, blockbuster but i think there's still money to be made if you if you release it at the right time well yeah but that's the danger of it the fans of fletch mm-hmm. the fans of fletch are going to expect a comedy you know but if you go and make it a dra- a dramatic book or a dramatic film based on the book then you potentially are alienating the fans of the original film. But if you make it a straight-out comedy, then the comparisons with Chevy Chase are automatically going to be there. And who plays the role? I mean, who can do it effectively? I think for it to be successful, they have to just go in a different direction, maybe keep it closer to what the book was. And of the remakes that I've seen, the ones that I've enjoyed the most are the ones that just went in a... A different direction so it wasn't just a carbon copy of what was originally out there and for it to work and for the Fletch fans not to say nah he's not Chevy Chase I think you just got to take it a different direction or do you acknowledge and try to incorporate Chevy Chase in some ways the later books in the Fletch series include a character that's Fletch's son that they're he's involved in the storyline and the intention of the author at one point was to have an, another series with Fletch's son for me, more than anything, if they were to do another one, that's what I'd like to see is, is Chevy Chase involved somehow. But I don't know if Chevy Chase would be enough of a draw for them to invest that much money into it. No, what are you talking about? $50 million for this film. Right. And 1985 money. That's like, you know. That's People go- still remember his talk show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess Chevy Chase probably isn't demanding a ton of money nowadays, but. Oh, he probably is, but he's just not getting it. No one's giving it to him. That's Except for the people from the community. I don't think they're giving him a ton of money. To- anyway, like I said, I'd see it. I, I think it would be very, very difficult for it to work. And yeah, I don't know. If Chevy Chase was involved and not the the kind of, oh, look at me, I, I was Fletch, and now I'm going to have a flashback for 90 minutes, and then you'll see me at the end in the old folks home or something. <laughs> if he was like really involved, uh, I, I think that's the only only way to really make the Fletch fans really love it. 
I think you could still remake the movie and uh, still make it a comedy. And I think Chevy, how he how he's aged, I think he could probably make him play the uh, the police chief, the Joe Don Baker character. <laughs> and I think that'd be a kind Rachel. of a th- yeah. I think it'd be a great throwback to the fans. I'm z- I just don't know who they're going to get to play the the Fletch character. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure they could fa- find some young Hollywood um, up-and-coming star to deliver um, one-liners like that. No, it, I mean, it's... I like I like the book series. I did not read the entire book series. I read about four or five books around the time this film came out, and I would be interested in revisiting the character, but I'd be interested in if they tried to do it closer to the books. That, you know, a la, like, James Bond Casino Royale, which is much more closer to the, the novelization than... Um, than the you know the films that came before it, although I love those as well. Uh, that it, yeah, you may alienate the the original audience, but I think you may find your own audience. And if if you make it a smaller film, you know, it only costs twenty million to make. I think you can make it back, you know, pretty quickly or pretty easily. It could be a profitable film, and I'm sure I'm sure somebody's working on it right now. If you name it Fletch, though, you're going to expect comedy. So you're going to have to do something with the title to make it. Hey, this is not just a Fletch remake, like like a, a carbon copy, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was supposed to be based on. Uh, I know when at least Kevin Smith was involved, the, the title, working title, was Fletch One, which was W O N, which is actually ba- that's actually one of the names of the books, and it was supposed to be a book that took place before the original Fletch novel, kind of a prequel for a lack of a better term and it wasn't like he was a lot younger or anything very substantial but it was just a different sequence of storyline well I hope they do it <laughs> <laughs> I, I've come full circle or, or not full circle 180 degrees go for it okay. I'll, I'll go see it all three people will see it so not, we'll see it not Matt it'll probably be too long insist on upon well, it so. first yeah. <laughs> they just need to update the music please for oh. the love of God update the music yep all right, let's wrap this up. We'll start with Scott since he's the new guy. Um, you've kind of already articulated what your thoughts, but uh, what do you think of Fletch? You know, it's no shock to to anyone listening that uh, I enjoyed the movie. It was a, a childhood favorite of mine, and in my opinion, it holds up. Chevy Chase is still funny. Uh, the music doesn't hold up, but the story, the the comedy, I enjoy it every time I see it. Jay? You know, I liked it the first time I saw it, and overall, I still think it's a good movie. I like it. Um, as I keep harping on it, the music is bad. It does draw you out of the experience. And uh, watching it for with a critical eye for the first time, uh, kind of realized how loose or non-existent this, the actual plot was. It just seems like it's just a more, ve- more of a vehicle for Chevy Chase to deliver the one-liners with a straight face. But um, overall, I still enjoy it. Um, I liked it a lot. I looked forward to it when, and when it was coming out enough that I went and actually read the book before I saw the film. Uh, I still like the film. It's I got to say it's a little dated. Um, I agree with Jay. The music is it doesn't distract me to the point where I can't stand it, you know, or takes me out of it. But uh, a lot of the storyline, there's a lot of plot holes that they kind of just okay. We're just going to wrap it up. I mean, they never explicitly explain how Stanwick is you know, working with the chief of police and I don't know if, if I hadn't, hadn't read the book if I wouldn't have just figured that out on my own but I, you know, I thought they could have it, it was a 98 minute film they could have spent 10 more minutes giving a little bit more plot details to it as far as storyline um, I have to say that as a Chevy Chase films this is probably one of my favorites is, uh, you know, I saw everything Chevy Chase was in in the 80s he was just you know, he was, he was vanilla. You know, you could you could see him in the films. They were always on HBO. 
Um, but this is the film that I probably like him best in because he's not slapsticky. I don't, I don't really get into slapstick comedy, and I think this, uh, the fact that he is uh, this, that sarcastic character, I appreciate a little bit more. Although I forgot to mention, there's one scene that did bother me. Did anybody when he goes into the house in Utah and he lights a cigarette? Does anybody? I, I kept going. God, he's lighting a cigarette, and, and we've talked yeah. about that in other podcasts where when someone lights a cigarette, it's just so, it, you know, it's so against social norms today that it stands out. But I was going, is he going to light something on fire? Is there a purpose behind this? Because he hasn't smoked the whole fucking film. Exactly. Then- now that you mentioned, I was about like he never smoked. He never mentioned it. No one ever smoked in the entire movie, and all of a sudden he just pulls out a pack and drinks a beer, Coors Light or Coors. But uh, yeah, it is just. Very odd. He drinks beer. I don't remember him drinking. Which, by no, the way, he, is how we know Sally Ann Kavanaugh is not Mormon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's let's true. make that clear. That's true. That's how we know. That was true. When she, he opened the fridge and saw the Coors in there, I was like, "Well, that's that." She's definitely oh, not yeah, Mormon. She, she's not one of us. So if that was filled with Dr. Pepper, now we're talking <laughs> a different story. <laughs> well, Chevy or Fletch play, uh, drank uh, Coors when he was in his apartment when right. he was uh, talking to his um, ex-wife's uh, attorney. Yeah. But it just—it was kind of weird that whole sequence. It was just suddenly I was like, "Why is he lighting a cigarette? Is that going to factor into it?" I don't. I was going. I don't remember the scene. I know he's going to look under the mattress and say that there's no tags on this mattress. But I'm going. Why has he got a cigarette all of a sudden? It seemed like an odd thing to do in that that portion of the well, film. I, I didn't understand why they put that in. Not only, I mean, then I, I assume it wasn't the same. Uh, there wasn't the same social. You weren't a social pariah. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it wasn't the same then. Boy, I hope you edited that out. <laughs> it's but, guaranteed to be in. There. <laughs> yeah, now I'm in trouble. But the the scene, it just it's like the scene stops so he can smoke, and it adds nothing to the story. I, I have no idea what that added to the movie or why you needed it. It it's just like okay, everyone, kick back for a minute. Okay, we'll get back to the story. Well, it is weird that we've come to this point in our lives, you know, that with a society that when that does happen, and we see that in a film from our childhood. You know, back then probably didn't even phase us. It's like, yeah, everybody smokes. It's and now it's like, oh my god, he's smoking in someone's house. That bastard! What the hell is he doing? Should shoot him for that. <laughs> we got to remember, as someone who grew up in Provo and watched the movie in Provo, we had that same feeling back in the eighties. Yeah, he probably couldn't even get cigarettes. He had to bring those from California. So. Yeah, you could ship them in from a different county. <laughs> so. What about the cores? Uh, maybe you could go up to Wyoming or something. I don't know. <laughs> or it's, it's like two and a half percent. <laughs> Who the hell are you? Get up. I'm up. <coughs> Door was unlocked. Lock's busted. Well, there you have it. I work for a landlord. He told me to watch out for the place. Well, I commend him on his choice. What? I commend him on his choice. I was supposed to meet uh, Mrs. Cavanaugh here. Who are you? I'm uh, Don Corleone, Mrs. Cavanaugh's cousin. You know where she is? Moved out. Moved out? That's <laughs> something I, I... I just talked to her last week. She didn't say a thing about it. She moved out. So you're saying she moved out? This morning. This morning? God. Ah, we had so much to talk about. You know, Mo Green is out of the Tropicana now. My sons, uh, Mike and Fredo, are taking over. What did you want under the bed? I'm afraid I'm going to have to pull rank on you. I didn't want to have to do this. I'm with the mattress, please. There are no tags on these mattresses. 
All right. Well, that's Fletch. Uh, join us next week when we review another childhood favorite to see if it stands the test of time. Um, in the meantime, check us out on Facebook at lunchtimemoviereview.com or follow us on Twitter at lunchtimemovie. Um, or send us a comment at comments at lunchtimemoviereview.com. Um, if you are interested in helping out the podcast, uh, if you want to order something from Amazon, you can go through our website and enter Amazon through one of the Amazon links. Uh, don't doesn't cost anything extra, but it helps support the podcast. Whatever purchase you made, a very, very small percentage goes to the upkeep of this podcast, bandwidth and equipment and all. And one of the children has actually written a book, has put words into full sentences and paragraphs. Chris has written Duty, Honor, Empire, a 25th century love story, and it is now available for download off iTunes and Amazon.com. And you can access that through the link on the homepage for lunchtimemoviereview.com. Uh, help support a uh, fledgling writer in his first book attempt. That's it for now. We'll talk to you guys next week. And we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited. This podcast is not endorsed by Universal Studios Home Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Fletch, all names and sounds of Fletch characters, and any other Fletch-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Universal Studios Home Entertainment or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.